Studio Stories, Studio Stories. A podcast reminiscing on Twin Cities dance history. All stories are connected, new ones woven from threads of the old. Hi, I'm Matthew Jindusky. Welcome to Studio Stories. Today our guest to share a bit of their story is Darius Strong, Artistic Director of Strong Movement. Darius has been creating work in the Twin Cities over seven years and describes his work as a blend of styles mixing hip-hop, ballet, modern, and West African to tell stories related to society and humanity. Hello, Darius. Yeah, how's it going, Matthew? Thanks for having me. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's awesome to, to hear your voice, and uh, it's been a while since I've gotten to see you, as everybody, mainly. But uh, it's great to have you here, and I'm a bit surprised... You can fit us in, honestly. You've been quite a busy, busy choreographer and dancer in town here right now uh, with oh, your yeah. Merge in March collaboration with Helen Hatch, uh, mixed Sorry. tape, all the teaching. You know, it, it, I really feel special that you're joining us today and lucky to have you a part of our. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, I was lucky to have you a part of the Candy Box dance festival a couple of years back and and you just keep impressing me with all your accomplishments so accomplishing it's really awesome i'm looking forward to learning more about you <laughs> honestly yeah, i don't i don't know much <laughs> <laughs> well i guess that's why i'm excited to do this interview you know to <clears throat> to kind of get the opportunity to speak so i appreciate you asking me and you know and i'm just trying to do the work continue the work um you know dance is such a ther- therapeutic thing for myself so I feel like it was important to keep that going especially in a, a, such a um, tough time for many uh, throughout this mm. past year right so yeah very awesome and where did so where did you kind of begin dancing can you give us like a sum, summation of your beginnings as a dancer and choreographer how you got into dance yeah well, I would say that I started dancing in Chicago, man. I'm from the south side of Chicago. And um, I actually moved here when I was uh, 9, 10, so around that age. Uh, but dancing really started for me uh, with my brothers. I have two other brothers who are really close uh, in age and close to me, myself. Um, one year older. One is one year older and one, one year younger than me. So I'm 30, have a, and he's 31, and also a 29-year-old brother. And we kind of grew up dancing in the uh in our living room you know dancing and making up routines you know um my mom was actually uh hooked to crack in the 80s you know she got hooked to crack in the 80s so she's part of crack the that pandemic the crack pandemic Mm. um out there in chicago and that's kind of been a consistent thing throughout her life uh so we did a lot of things in growing up in chicago like throughout those first few years uh, whether we would be kind of in abandoned homes or we'll be at home a lot alone uh, without hmm. uh, our dad who's worked a lot and he's trying to drop us off at our mom's house sometimes and she would kind of go out and do drugs or be in, affiliated with other things but kind of leave us abandoned sometimes. So we caught that that happened to us a lot. So we started to kind of just really uh, became each other's best friends. That's kind of we supported each other and took care of each other. And that was our way of entertainment and it's kind of making up dances and doing our own little routines and talent shows inside our living room. Um, and when we moved here to Minnesota, um, you know, that's something we kept going, we kept with, you know, something that we feel like we did without knowing that it was a thing, actually. You know, I remember yeah. us <laughs> dancing and thinking we created some of these moves that we were like the only, that it was just the thing that we did until we kind of once again discovered you know, Michael Jackson was a big influence uh, influence to us, but then also once you know, internet started to pick up a little bit more. You know, uh, we found other dancers that looked like us, young people who looked like us, who who trained in, in other hip hop styles and and dance in general. So that was uh, kind of a mind boggling thing for us, but <clears throat> at the same time, it was interesting to think that we thought we created this movement type feel. You know, uh, so we did a lot of. And like I said before, and and uh, getting to high school, a lot of performing together, um, making routines, hitting the stage, uh, entering talent shows, um, and it wasn't really until I turned uh, twenty one to I entered the University of Minnesota when I transferred to that program that I started to do 
styles outside of hip hop, you know, and then I actually stepped inside and started to train in front of a, a mirror, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Even before that time, I was teaching. You know, I started teaching at 18. I started teaching at a local studio. And, you know, even then I had no idea that I had a passion behind teaching the way I did until I got this opportunity and seeing how these kids were so excited to move with me and so inspired. And something about that gave me energy and empowered me. <clears throat> so um, being in that space and teaching um, – and not really picking up on movement through the mirror, it was a really big shock to me when I went to University of Minnesota and having to take class and look at the mirror and, and learn these different styles. So, hmm. you know, the journey started me with hip hop and, and, and finding once again that, that self-empowerment and using it as a tool of expression, if you will. Yeah. So you were doing, you're doing hip hop with friends and your, and your brothers. And it sounds like, did you have a, a connection to a studio that, cause you started teaching at a studio, yeah. did were you taking class there as well first or? I was not. No, I wasn't. I never took class, you know, to, like actually to U of M. So before that, you know, like I said, we did a lot of talent shows. So we were really, you know, our names got around the city. A lot of people talked about us in the schools. And I think one of the, um, you know, a connection to a friend of ours knew the owner of the studio called Rhythm and Shoes out in West St. Paul. And when they, they reached out to us, um, really me and my brothers and asked, hey, we want to, you guys teach hip hop. I want to know if you want to come do a, a sample class, you know? Mm. So when we get out there, I was about 18 at this time. Um, we did a, a class and they, they loved us. They actually, a lot of kids wanted to come back and take more class. So we started teaching these classes all together with all three of us teaching these individual classes, um, just hip hop class. So we had three instructors in the class teaching. Um, the thing that stuck with it is that my brothers kind of slipped away from it. I had more of the voice. They kind of liked to move, but they didn't necessarily know how to communicate that, especially to young kids. Um, and they kind of wanted more from dance. They wanted to get they wanted to get more pay, and they wanted to you know have more opportunities. You know, they kind of had the fame idea of dance on their mind. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of where they kind of slipped away. And I think that we talked for a year together, and then the following year they kind of slipped out of it and I picked up all, all the classes and started teaching them by myself and, and kept that going and kept that flowing at Rhythm and Shoes. My gosh, amazing. So your passion for dance was very clear, it seems to me. Oh, yeah. Like I said before, we had did a lot of dancing in the, the basement, a lot of like in the living rooms and just kind of empty spaces. And I think that for me initially, I, I don't know, it was just something about movement that, I'm the same way with music. Like I like to just kind of as a hobby sing and it tends to be therapeutic. Like words come out when I improvise that I feel like I'm feeling and that I connect to that I listen to later. Same thing with movement. Mm -hmm. you know, something that I felt when I was down and sad, you know, when I started to dance with my body, you know, that would give me perspective that would, you know, uplift me a little bit. And I had no idea what that was, but I didn't know that it was something and it was something inside of me pushing uh, pushing me to continue that journey, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And how was that? Was it pretty accepted? Like going to the U of M for dance? Uh, was that pretty accepted amongst your family and friends and things like that? Or how no, was that? for you? No, it, was <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't, you know, I went to after uh, high school, I went to Henry Sibley middle, uh, high school in uh, Mendota Heights. I went to Embry Hills community college actually. And I, even although I enjoyed uh, dancing, and my daughter's going to come here, <laughs> although uh, I enjoyed dancing, um, I didn't necessarily think I could be famous off of dancing or make a career off dancing. My dad always said, you know, there's a thousand people out there doing that. Like, there's no way that you're going to be able to make that happen, you know, or, hmm. you know, find a career, find a job. How are you going to make your income? Yeah. So yeah. I went to community college thinking I wanted to be a heart surgeon. You know, it's one of the biggest things. I'm like, I want to be a heart surgeon. I was so intrigued by the body. It's another thing that kind of pulled me into dance. It's something about the unknown behind the body um, really intrigued me. But also like this fear because I had a lot of trauma from seeing a lot of um, violence in Chicago. Like my mom getting kind of beat or fights happening or gang related things breaking off. So 
something about like seeing blood and things kind of freaked me out. But things about myself is that whatever freaks me out, I kind of want to go towards it instead of pushing away from it. So mm-hmm. that was the thing that I was kind of pushing with my family. I want to be a heart surgeon. So I did a few EMT classes. Um, I did some paramedic work. I did some stuff in nursing homes uh, for those first kind of two years in, at Ember Hills. Um, and then when I transferred to the U of M, I actually told my parents, you know, I'm going to audition for this program, program. So then hopefully I can get a good GPA that first year and then transfer to the medical program, you know? So then I went there, um, and actually fell in love with dance and I fell in love with and I took that, that trajectory and my family didn't show up to my events or didn't have support me. I think I got got kicked out of my house when I was 18. So I was kind of supporting myself up until that point. Uh, but um, at that first two years at the, in college, they didn't come to any shows or necessarily understand why I was dancing, especially when I started doing ballet and, and modern and jazz, these different forms outside of hip hop. It just was so foreign to them that they had no idea how to take that in, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, the exposure, I feel. I think, I mean, I'm, again, from a small town in Round Lake, Illinois, and mm. my parents wanted me to they're like you're gonna be like a ceo or something <laughs> and i was like i found dance and i enrolled to be a mass communication journalist kind of thing and um but then you know of course i loved dancing so i was in the dance program and it just took over so i totally understand that uh, that love of dance and like going toward it and and your family going, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, like I said before, it's so funny in my family how when, you see, when they hear dance, they think about uh, so you can get dance, just like most of the world, you know? Yeah, think, yeah. Like all these dances that are on TV or entertainment, you know, um, commercial dance, these things they think about and they think about, um, you know, so they think about that as a place that they never can reach based off what they what they've been taught. You know, I've I've learned a lot about that too about our parents and how they encourage based off how they've been encouraged. And I think um, it was so important for me also to just like I said, I ran away from the idea of I ran towards the idea of like paramedic work. It's the same thing with dance. It's like because they didn't believe that I can make it or believe that it was something or that it was valuable to me, I had to do it more. I wanted to show mm-hmm. them. I wanted to, to introduce them to you know, how powerful this tool was. Not just for myself, but my brothers too. You know, they started to work every time, like over those two years, they started to be like, man, I'm so so dope. It's so dope you went on with this. I was wish that we kind of kept going with it. Mm-hmm. And I had to constantly remind them that it's never too late. You know, it's not too late to continue dancing. It's your tool, it's your body. So it's just a, a standard of what we feel like we think we what dance is or this barrier what we feel like we can achieve or do in the, in the world. Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to me that you entered the dance program at the U. Mm-hmm. Can you describe maybe your first ballet class or, or modern yeah, class? Yeah, uh, Tina. That's my ballet teacher, and I can't remember her last name, but I remember her. Very much so. Ballet was very scary for me, you know. Um, I remember the audition for the University of Minnesota, you know, when they asked me to do a tondu, and I'm like, a tondu? What is this? And I was just looking around, just trying to, and just trying to, um, you know, copy the people, the bodies around me, um, and just kind of fake it, say, make it kind of idea, you know, uh, doing the audition, which got me into the program because I had a solo that was more of a contemporary hip hop solo, if you will. Now I didn't know that back then. But now I know more vocabulary. I'm, I feel like that was more of a contemporary style. Uh, but my first ballet class was very much me feeling uncomfortable. <laughs> and I talk about this a lot. I always say you have to be uncomfortable in order to grow. And it's one of my biggest quotes for my students. And I just remember feeling uncomfortable in the clothes I was wearing. I was trying to put a dance belt on in tights for my first time. Because that was something that was kind of required. I mean, I think that most people were doing it. So I was like, let me buy some tights and dance belt. Um, and... I felt tremendously judged and just exposed, you know, like I, I just didn't, was was not so used to having my body so exposed to be seen, mm-hmm. you know, so used to like wearing my clothes in a baggy way. And I feel like that also was my energy. I kind of was more so guarded, you know. So when I was in ballet class that first time, I was the most exposed I've been ever really. And I'm like, wow, 
Um, so it was a lot of that journey, you know. Um, during the first class, I did meet some cool people, though, which made me kind of want to keep pushing on, like some really down-to-earth people from different walks of life, but very amazing dancers that I felt, you know. So something about that that kept me pushing and, and that, you know, put a goal on the plate for me, uh, seeing other movies around me, you know. Yeah. And I know Tina, and I can't think of her last name now either. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to, <laughs> people she's are going to be like, let's check this out, who this is. Yeah, I know she's a great kind of open, uh, very, very helpful teacher to, I think, beginners in ballet specifically. You know, has a, yeah, a great yeah. language for it. Oh, yeah. And her energy, too. You know, she was my first year and, you know, who really, like, ex who really cracked me open. I, I know I listened to studio stories in the past, and I know you just did an interview with Penny Free. Penny mm -hmm. Free is an, is an amazing, amazing teacher. On, on top of that, being an, an artist and, and as a dancer and choreographer, but as a teacher, uh, that's one person that I felt just really empowered me in, in ballet. There's something about the way that she always gave me something she felt like I was growing with wasn't always a critique, but that did the world for me. It, it did a lot for me. And it really, mm -hmm. she talked about ballet in a way that didn't have to be so structured. It was something about the way that she put it in words that really opened my mind. I think my second year at the U um, and thinking about how to really let my body be like fit into the form, you know, with my yeah. body, not the bodies around me, like and how those bodies looked, you know? So she really, you know, Tina being able to get me on that, the leg and give me the basics. Um, and I think Penny really pushing me forward with those basics and really driving in my own individuality in the form, you know. Nice. Yeah, I think uh, Penny has that great visualization of, like, it's not about the ballet technique words or moves necessarily, but puts mm -hmm. it in a, a context where you're like, oh, this is my body doing Yes, this. <laughs> you know, exactly. that's so cool. Exactly. That's so cool. Okay. How is it that so the blending of hip hop, ballet, modern and West African? Yeah. How is that? How does that uh, go into your work? Like, how do you see these forms feed into one another or the dichotomy of them? Uh, what, what interests you about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I say these forms. Uh, uh, often because these are the forms that I, I trained in for a little bit. Um, you know, West African fit, fits in there because I trained with VOC with uh, Miss Kenna for a few years, mm. um, as well as like getting introduced to ballet and modern and, and taking class consistently and taking class and being integrated with two dance and doing some teaching there, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and these are other different styles. I find that, you know, these styles and these different like forms of dance come from a place and origin a, a little bit and they have a history behind them, uh, but they're so different. And I like the idea of blending these things together because I think it relates to um, blending voice together. You know, I'm all mm -hmm. about perspective um, and, and yeah, perspective and also like um, putting many different voices in the work that I do. So I feel like, you know, these different styles, first of all, taught me that they're, when you put titles on them, it's kind of a little bit challenging. It was challenging for me to fall into these things. Mm -hmm. But when I started to think about styles as movement in general, they all have their foundation and their technique. But as soon as I dropped the label of them a little bit, um, I started thinking of it as movement and finding ways to use these different things to tell the stories that I wanted to tell. Um I say that because all these styles that resonate in my body, you know, when I dance and I improvise, I'm going to do maybe, you know, I might do something that goes to the ground that's from the Alexander technique and there's some Horton in there. And then I might, you know, do an awesome blade, you know what I mean? But <laughs> yeah. I think about how do I break those up and make them my own? And also like tell the story without thinking of those different labels on the movement, I guess, you know? So I think, these styles live in my body and they just come out naturally because it's something that I've trained in and it's something I can, I'm continuously to continuously reaching for, for more information. And it's just naturally going to bleed itself into how I move and how I create my work. Um, so I think there's something beautiful about that idea of these different styles 
uh, been put together and also think about how different voices, if they're put together, what what's the power of that and, and the power of that and, and how much, you know, what's the ripple effect of change that can happen um, if we think about uh, blending things together in that way, you know? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of an organic expression of, of just what's in you, <laughs> what's inside of you. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I loved it that you called uh, Kenna Cotman Miss Kenna. Oh, yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know if you... <laughs> <laughs> I, I just naturally do that. I just remember, you know, when I was training on her, be like, she's like, Miss Kenna. And I was like, oh, my bad, you know. So it's just a natural thing for me, you know. And I was like, I'm a respect guy, you know. I yes. always tell people how they want to be introduced or, or spoken to. And I, I think I got a tremendous amount of respect for for Miss Kenna or Kenna Cotman, however you want to go about it. She's just such a, a powerhouse, but also a, such a mentor in so many different ways and, and, and still so selfless, you know, in all the mm-hmm. work she's doing in, in the community. So, yeah, she's quite something oh, yeah. for sure. So, Darius, tell me what companies in town have you? I know you've done a lot. I, I remember seeing a performance that you did with Lost Voices. Is that the right title? That yeah, Lost Voices. Yeah, I think that might have been my first time seeing you actually as a performer. Yeah, yeah. which was super cool, and I have very clear memories of it. And mm. so you're a freelance dancer, choreographer, and then you have danced with some companies or is it, yeah. is it, yeah. Can you talk been, about that? Yeah. I've, you know, moved with black label movement. Um, I've done some stuff with flying full form, creating work with them and doing and performing in their work. Um, you know, you mentioned lost forces of jazz is a big project that colleague writing as well as amazing team put together to bring in some of the history of jazz of some, <clears throat> some amazing um, artists of color too, who really had a, a good voice and, really helped push jazz forward here, even in Minnesota. Um, and I've done some work with Chappelle Smith. You know, I can't even remember who else I've done work with. Um, but yeah, that's kind of to name a few. You know, and I also Stuart Pimler Dance Theater. I would say Stuart Pimler was the last company that I moved with, and I did some, uh, some touring with those guys for about a year. And that was a company I really connected with because of the work that they do out um, and how they integrate their work to the community, you know. So I really connected with that that company in in general because of the fact that they're once again thinking of the movement as larger than themselves and how can they serve the communities that they're touching. And I got to be able to get a few different tools traveling to different cities with them when I when and educating. Um, mm. So that was kind of really kind of how. You know, my trajectory of, you know, companies I've, I've moved with and, and danced with. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very much like, I like to get moving in my body, you know, but I always pay attention to the, to the experience, I guess, you know. And, and, and I guess it's so, you know, as a choreographer and creator, I try to, my best to respect the, the artists. I say artists because dancers create too, even if you just think about mm-hmm. dance. But my work is so collaborative that I like to think of, the people I work with is choreographers too, as creators. Uh, but I think it's something about, for me, a respect thing and how you carry in and speak to um, the artist that, that intrigues me to continue to push forward with the work. So a lot of these companies really gave me um, room to, to have voice. So I appreciated that. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I think what great, you know, stomping ground for, you know, for myself, I was dancing right fresh out of college and every experience I had, I was like, Oh, this is how I would run a rehearsal or, you know, like you learn the good things, you learn the bad things, you know, you're like, I don't want to do that. Um, You know, so like having that experience of just honing in on your voice and, and how you want to function and operate within a studio, I think is really, really amazing to have those experiences for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. How did how did you begin presenting your work then? Did it while you were at the U? I would imagine you had to take comp class and yeah. But like to get to a a, a show, you know, like a full show of your work. Yeah. Uh, can you talk about that kind of path? For sure. Yeah, I think I have always wanted to and desired to to choreograph. Oh, I think I've 
you know, always desired to, you know, choreograph and do work. <clears throat> I remember the first time actually that I decided this is when, you know, watching videos before I went to U of M and just noticing that all these different choreographers had different styles on them. Even in hip hop, it was just like the, the style looked different. It was the voice. It was the, the voice of the artist. And I remember I used to say like, oh, I remember like, you can put anything on a, like 10 dancers. Like it can be some goofy stuff, but if you believe it and you are really like believing that movement, I think that people start to catch on and start to like it and, and catch on as well. Um, so I remember going to the U and I went to talk to Nora and I was looking at the program and I was like, well, where are the choreography classes? I want to be, a, you know, I can't, that's the only thing I kept saying. Like, I want to be a choreographer, you know? <laughs> she said, well, you got to take ballet first and you got to take this and that. And then there's some composition classes you can take. Like composition, but what about the choreography classes? <laughs> I had no idea what composition, like that word was not a... a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So... Um, you know, as I got into the program, I think, and doing these comp classes, before I even got to comp, we was also required to go to these different shows at the U of M, you know, in modern class, man, maybe had yeah. two to go to. And that was from companies traveling from outside the States in here, you know, performing at Walker Arts or Northrop, whatever that was, or even at the Coles. And my first work that I seen uh, that really cracked my head open was Bill T. Jones. Mm. And I seen him at the Walker Arson and he had this piece that was a big clock ticking up and he was telling this story and he was reading this book, but he looked frozen to me, but he had all these pictures, you know, dancers around him telling the story that he was saying. And that was about my biggest inspiration to be like, I want to create this. I want to create stories. You know, I want to, I want to use this platform to, to, to do something like this. So I think, that was really my biggest inspiration by seeing different artists come in and, and see what you can and seeing what you can do with movement was something that really taught me a lot. Um, my composition classes, once again, um, getting different devices in a competition class. I mean, in our composition classes, like uh, retrograde, you know, um, just thinking about different qualities and movement and things like that. Um, after doing my assignments and and kind of creating work. In the composition classes, I realized that, you know, creating repetition and creating different gestures, the body saying things, you know, the body uh, is communicating and taking time to listen to that. Um, sometimes is what creates the masterpiece, I guess, if you spend some time in it. So the first time I actually did some work was uh, at the choreographer's evening at, at the Walker Art Center in 2014. I was working on a piece through my composition class. Uh, but I had started in the summer and I picked a couple of dancers that I was really close to at the U of M. And like all summer, we just would meet once a week and work on this piece. I was titled Piece by Piece. Um, and at the time I was dealing with a lot of um, thoughts about society and how society has such a big impact on my perspective of the world. Hmm. So when I was building this work um, and creating it, I had finished it, and I think at that fall season, we went back to school, and then I had a composition class, and then they had introduced cannons. You know, uh, I knew about cannons, but I didn't think about using cannons to tell my story and get the point across and, and the power of cannons. So I threw this idea of cannons in the work, and it, and it opened up a whole other regiment of things for me to work with in the work and to discover. Hmm. Um, I think when I performed the work at the Walker that year, it was uh, actually that 2015, early that year. Um, got some good feedback about it. People were really touched by it, and people really heard my voice. You know, I heard our voice when we told when we spoke this work, and that's something that was new to me to to see people um, on the same page as me, who people who related to this idea, this story, and really had things that were so vivid in it that they took away that they felt like they were going to carry with them. Um, and that there was enough fire for me to continue to, to, to kind of, it, it woke me up to realize how important it is for me to continue to push my voice and how many people might feel empowered by the work, um, or inspired to create the work, create their work through the work. So I think that is a step-by-step -step process like that for me, as far as mm -hmm. like creating longer works, <laughs> I think, 
Um, it's a challenge for sure, you know, but I think every process I'm learning a little bit more about how to really keep the audience intrigued to the work and keep the story um, something that is, is conversating with the viewers. So I think that my first uh, big piece was six the, through the Momentum New Dance Works project. Uh, Michelle Steinwall is the one who's directing the program at the time. And we had to create a 35-minute work. There was no, you know, you had to create a 35-minute piece, 30 to 35 minutes, and that was a requirement. So I think of that little deadline and that um, those guidelines to that project really helped me decipher how to tell a longer story. You know, if I wanted to tell a 35-minute story, I had to start thinking about my work as um, a sentence with punctuation in it. You know, I had to have periods and commas in there. So that's something as I start to grow, and even now, thinking of how to not just have a run-on sentence and speaking at the audience, but finding a way to conversate with the viewers, to really keep some doors open for them to um, have their input on the work. So that was one big project I felt challenged me in that way, and it felt like it went it was pretty successful um, as far as what people took away from it, um, and also the work that we kind of we took on and built. You know. mm-hmm. What was the name of that that piece? It was titled Six. Oh, okay. um, it was really about it was six characters, and it was um, based off these guys ne- never been to Earth before, but they land on Earth, and there's one character which uh, I had the, the opportunity to work with Mona Lisa, which is a B-girl breaker in, this, in the cities, but she just got to McKnight that year. Yes, she was love looking her. To, yeah, she was looking to actually expand her moving vocabulary. She's been training and breaking for some time, but something about rubber band dance, she found out about that company, intrigued her. Hmm. And, you know, I asked her to be a part of this project, and it, it was kind of fitting because, you know, all the dancers that I had, which is for the dancers, we were really trained in these classical forms and we were in these contemporary forms, but she was so new to it. So it was fitting to me that she was a sixth, sixth character and that she didn't necessarily know how to use her powers yet, how to how to um, navigate her own body. And mm. you know, we came up with these different powers that each one of us had, you know, so we kind of really wanted to get, um, get our imagination going a bit on that, on that project. And it turned out once again, uh, breaking it up in these different sections, I felt like we found a good arc to the work. <laughs> it's so funny to me, Darius, because I uh, long ago, I think I was maybe the first momentum artist. Oh wow! <laughs> and the way you're describing this dance piece, I was like, yeah, it's like these—they come from space and they've been dropped in through this like tunnel onto Earth, and they—they they don't know who each other are or anything. Yeah. It's so funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that. Even that, it's like, uh, I'm very similar to you when you talked about stepping into the space and, like, it's just doing a rehearsal, like, being out, being observant, you know, watching things and seeing how people mm-hmm. learn things and taking that in. I remember, once again, <clears throat> what, what intrigues me about going to shows, I'm a very, I'm an observing person in that way. When I sit down into a theater, you know, why did I like this work so much or what pulled me in? I think some of the devices I use in that that I hope to continue to use was setting the tone before people get into the theater, you know, and like giving them the feeling and texture of the work. So we played around with things like having a soundscape on of a engine running as people came in and sat down and it was like an engine running. So by the time the show started, this engine would, it landed. It was like, do, 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 do. And it was in the dark and it sounded like it kind of thumped on the ground. But literally people know I already had them thinking of this. It was our, they're having a conversation to hear this engine sound. But I wanted to set that up um, to really pull people into this world. And I think it's so, it's a challenge to, to get people to, to leave everything outside and to really take time to indulge in the work and find themselves in the work um, without critiquing it, especially for us artists. <laughs> and like, how do you find people to really be immersed in the story? So that was a, a technique I feel like I learned as well through the many different performers I've been through that's been um, life-changing for myself. So Yeah, yeah. It's like bringing them into the into the room with you and, and uh, preparing in a way for oh, yeah. them without them even knowing. I love that. Yeah. It's very cool. 
Can you can you share maybe what a first rehearsal looks like for you? I know it could re- really vary from piece to piece, but yeah. I think <clears throat> you mean first start moving or, or through my process? Yeah, yeah. The first rehearsal always looks like I would say um, me coming up with a phrase. You know, I always have at least three phrases that I have to use when I'm stepping into space to begin a project. Um, and the first rehearsal tends to be the most intense one because I'll probably run that phrase over and over again. Um, I'll find different ways to throw out um, different prompts to the dancers mm-hmm. to try new things with the movement. But the first thing I do is breaking that barrier of letting the da- the artist know, the dancer know that you have a voice in this work. I think that some of the process is like I, when I worked with James Soul Ballet, you know, um, even Threads Dance, I, I did some work with those guys too. And just previously, we did some work on our two dance. I did a work with Christian Warner uh, before the COVID mm-hmm. happened, and that show didn't really happen, but the process happened. Uh, but working with these dancers, um, I've noticed that a lot of dancers are so used to being told what to do in every moment, maybe told how to feel as well. And that's really my first step when I step into the, the space is letting people know, letting the artists know that this story is not powerful without your voice, without you putting in what you feel the topic is about. So running that running that, um, and having conversation, but running it multiple times and looking at the movers and seeing how they take on the movement is a, is a, is a big step to the next rehearsal for myself when I started, when I started to break up the phrase work or um, even going off of mistakes. I love when mistakes happen. I like the Right. Thing. Yes. It's a big thing, right? I'm, and I sit, can tell you can relate to it. And I love that because usually when I, especially the first rehearsal is I teach moving really quick. I don't spend much time and be like, all right, this is one and two. I don't really count. I do a lot of sound mistakes. <laughs> I'm like, hey, uh, ah, e, ooh, ah. You know, so I'm doing all these sounds. Um, and I like doing that because then when you have them do it, someone makes a mistake off of something that they thought I did. And I'm like, ah, I like that. How about everybody just do this and add that to it? So then once again, that's already the conversation happening between me and the dancer. Like it has to happen. A conversation has to happen between me and the dancer in order for us to be able to touch our viewers. That's just one of the biggest things I, I feel like I push. Yeah. And that's such a thing that um, not all dancers have that ability mm. either. You know, so it's it's one thing to like say, you guys can have a say in this. I mean, obviously you find your collaborators that you want to work with and, you know, create a relationship with over time. But to have that ability, you're exactly right. Like that being told what to do and then be like, no, you're a part of this. And I love the example you shared of, um, you know, messing up, like having mistakes and not giving them much time to do it. Like uh, I do a lot of catch. I call it catch, um, which I think is a a terminology in composition maybe, (laughs) but you know, it's just like, I'm just like flailing about in front of them and say like, okay, do whatever you caught there, you know? Mm. And mm. it's so, so telling to uh, inspire the work or inspire me as the viewer, like going, oh yeah, okay, this is more the direction I want to go. Yeah. You know, me finding what it is that that we're going to make together. Exactly. Yeah, because I think that's so much of it. I love that. I mean, like, once again, I, I always question, I was like, what is the work about? You know, why do we like to create you know, is it something that makes us feel good about ourselves or is it like something that, you know, when our work comes out, is this the impact it makes? I'm not sure, you know, but I think I know kind of what I, I, I reach for when it comes to it. Um, but I think I want to go back to what you said about not every dancer has it or mm-hmm. like has that ability. I think not every dancer knows they have that. They haven't been taught that. Mm. You know, I think there's a difference sometimes because maybe a dancer's asked to, hey, put your own voice on it, but they have no idea what that means. But it's almost like, um, I remember a dancer I was working with um, and they made a mistake and I said, well, that's your voice right there. Like, that was really dope. And after that moment, maybe the second time, they started to make more choices in the work. And it was like a, something that opened up for them and it was something new that they'd never done before. Like, oh, well, I never thought that I could, ha- I had this option, you know? Um, I think it also 
it's what the choreographer allows in the space, obviously. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think something about the value of of um, introducing that way of creating and being a part of the creative process to the artist, to the dancer, you know. Yeah. Darius, have you, and forgive me if I don't know the answer to this, uh, or that I don't know this, but have you done a full show of your of your work specifically? I did. We did a show um, called Access Granite, which I uh, oh, was super okay. happy with. And that was actually, I think my first 2016, we just talked about this, um, working on some outreach stuff for a strong movement because we want to do more stuff with schools, you know, and things like that. Uh, but Axis Granite was our actual first show in 2016, and I did a culmination of work that I created in in college, but also new work that I was making that previous year with some new dancers. Um, and it was a whole hour show, and it was at the Lunchroom Center, you know. And we had like a very small budget. We rented out this space, and they really helped us out a little bit with that with that getting that space. Uh, but I just remember us not thinking about the floor because we had these socks on. <laughs> so we were slipping yeah. all over the place and we couldn't really, you know, we couldn't really control the movement. Uh, but the amazing thing about that show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing another production here when when things are a little bit clearer um, and yeah. we know where they're heading. Uh, but one thing I loved about that was that we did a Q&A and talked about this the other day. And it was so beautiful to see majority of the, the attendees stay they stayed for the Q and A, and they stayed the whole time. And then after the Q and A, people stuck around still, you know, to try to have more conversation. And usually, you see a lot of people walking out the door during the Q and A, but to see everyone so happy, and we we laughed a lot. We talked a lot about the show and about the topics and some of the stories that we were telling that were very much abstract, because that's really what the work that I never really tell a direct story. It's a little bit always some abstractness in there to have you wonder and, and also keep the avenue open for you to have your thoughts. But Access Granted was one of those shows I felt was successful in a way of building community and conversation uh, around art and, and getting the viewers to really look in there and like bring their own perspectives of their life into this conversation was such a beautiful thing. Um, so yeah, that was in 2016, Access Granted. <laughs> I remember that title now, now that you say it. I'm like, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so so cool, but crazy that you haven't had another one. But you've really been busy with uh, commissions and and creating work. Yeah. I mean, you're building quite a body of work for yourself. Oh yeah, um, you know that's so cool. Yeah, I and, think that I was just gonna bleed off for that. I, I think yeah. I'm just figuring out myself is that the funding, you know, grants mm. <laughs> grants are always a thing, right? So I think yeah. what I'm getting down, maybe the quarantine is what I needed so I can sit down and figure out how to really put things in order and how to be a better leader for my team. Uh, but I think that I've also, like, there's a sense of fear too. Like, well, I can't do that. I can't, you know, I can only do this much or I can only be, if I'm being commissioned, creating work, but finding different ways to kind of put, put that, put our show together and also like doing more. You know, I'm all about, the next time we do a show, it's got to be a little bit more um, down packed and really a little bit more genuine and authentic, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of the journey with that. Yeah. Well, and I think it's an interesting topic because as artists, you know, we're we have to wear so many hats within getting our work out there. You know, it's like we're the promoter, we're the, mm-hmm. you know, choreographer. We're trying to raise the money to make it happen and. Yeah. Do you feel a sense of the community like supportive I for think your work? This year is like when I'm feeling it the most, you know, 2020, I don't know, something about that year, finding the support and that people actually believe in the voice and see what we're trying to do through movement. You know, it's not necessarily believing in my voice. I've, I think my students do that for me a little bit. And my company always does that for me when it comes down to the dancers around me. Hmm. And I have to sometimes remind myself of how much they believe in my vision or believe in my philosophy of dance, you know. Um, but this year, more so than ever, I mean, I've had, I'm not sure if it's the conditions of what we're going through, but people reach out and also really uh, give us feedback on how they really connected to the work, you know, and hmm. or, or how 
you know, our mission uh, as a company. So starting to feel that support uh, a little bit more, but I, I just, once again, it is a challenge, you know, it's a challenge when you wear many hats, like you said, just said, you know, I'm just trying to do the marketing and the, and the administrative stuff behind the scenes. And um, at the same time, uh, once again, remain selfless. It's the hardest thing for us artists who are a little bit more selfless is talking about yourself. <laughs> I guess I don't know. <laughs> speaking yeah. about your work as if like you're the baddest choreographer out there, you know, I guess. <laughs> and I think that that's really this, this, the ego I have to kind of, or I guess that's a, the lump I have to jump over. I had to over these past year is just being able to be honest with why do I feel like it's important uh, that the work that we're doing is, is, is viewed by many, um, mm-hmm. especially young kids uh, that can relate to who I am as a leader, as a black man, you know, young, young black boys, but even men in general, boys in general, like being able to, you know, being able to dance and being able to feel okay with expressing themselves through arts um, and understanding that it's a, an avenue of therapy, I guess. Yeah. Where is that happening, Darius? Where are those classes for little black boys? And mm. You mean like as far as classes happening in general? I think... Yeah. I can't tell you. I I, I think I haven't met, seen any classes um, that are just for young, especially outside of North Minneapolis. I don't do much work in North Minneapolis, but once again, like I mentioned, Miss Kenna, I know she does a lot of work with young um, young black kids um, and empowering that community. Um, one of the biggest things that I've discovered is working out in the suburbs and working here, there's always two or three black kids, you know? It's always like three, four black kids in one class. And they are the ones who feel most empowered by, by me being there. They're like, I can mm. tell there it's light bulb that pops in their head. That's like, oh, finally somebody that looks like me or somebody that maybe understands where I come from or my the way my family is, you know? So that kind of speaks to the reason as to why I'm trying to create this space. Well, first of all, it's not just for black people, but for all people, because we're about unity and community. And I mean that dearly because once again, I got friends who helped me get to where I I am today. And they aren't my color. You know, they are Hispanic. They are Asian. They Mm -hmm. are white. They are, you know, so many different people have different perspectives. But that's one thing I know is, why I have to continue to do what I do as a teacher is getting out into the cities that have lack, lack of diversity um, because there always is one or two of those um, kids of color in the space that needs to see that it's possible for them to be great. You know, it's possible yeah. for them to, to do what I'm doing. And, and sometimes it's just about how much you're being uplifted. And too often we don't have that in our families is being uplifted and empowered. So, Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, being in this dance community for well over 30 years myself, it, it feels so segregated still to me, uh, the dance, dance world alone, you know? So I'm, I'm really interested in how, how can that shift? How can we open that up? And yeah. No, I think that is definitely like an understanding too, you know, I've, I've noticed that, once again, I say this, you have to be uncomfortable in order to grow. I think about cousins and family who moved to Minnesota and they're like, yeah, like, I don't know. Like that was there. I feel weird there. I feel awkward there. This isn't this, this space ain't for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So then they go back home, you know? And I think it's just about the space and the educators we have, we have to have perspective. You know, we have a lot of educators who are question in the, our community that I'm like, how are you educating? It almost feels like you're not seeing the student. You have one one way of teaching, and that's all you have, you know. And I think it's so important for us to to delegate, to be really delicate with every with that process of teaching, um, especially these young kids, and being able to understand that they don't ha- what they may or may not have. So it's just a lack of understanding in a lot of ways, and. Um, a lot of times people not holding other people accountable, you know, educators account- accountable and just trusting that they know what they're doing. I've just noticed that that's kind of one of my roles is too, is holding people accountable for their actions and, yeah. you know, really holding the educator um, to that standard. You know, if you're going to be teaching, you got to be teaching for all, not just teaching in a way that you feel like you're looking for. 
these certain type of dancers, but we're teaching to to empower our students. So I think it, it is a little bit of that. A lot of people who are called don't feel comfortable because they don't see other people in the space like them. Yeah. And also the space isn't also charged and welcoming in a, in a way uh, that is malleable and flexible for anyone uh, to join that community. You know, so the way we change it, I think, is continue to um, empower some of the young youth right now who are coming up who are of color and also um, any youth, I would say, like even I've met so many white kids, I want to say, to think think about color and race, which I try my best not to talk about or think about too much because, once again, I like to think about humans and the society we live in and how the society constantly manipulates us to fight against each other. Mm-hmm. But I've seen man, so many young kids with such a good heart, and I can just tell they're going to do so much good for the world because they have allies. They have friends around them that look different than them, and their friends look different. And they're they're open and they're listening, uh, and they get that from their parents in some sense, but also get it from um, the world we live in now and what they see on what they see is happening in our world through social media or TV. So, I think we have some great young people coming up who are really going to be putting their foot forward um, to help create that change in our communities. You know. Wow, nice. It makes me wonder too, Darius, if because you had mentioned Bill T. Jones and seeing his concert at the Walker. I was, I saw that show as well. He's one of my biggest (laughs) heroes. Um, But I, it makes me wonder if that exposure to Bill T specifically also somehow shifted seeing him being successful as a black man. Do you think that that was connected at all or? Uh, For myself? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. I think, I don't think I would necessarily would have been so empowered if I didn't see a black man up there. Like it was his body that really, like it was the stories that was being told around him, but it was also how, how powerful he looked and how much his voice reminded me of my father's voice. Hmm. His calmness and something about him. For me, um, I talk a lot about, about ancestors in our, in, in the black culture, our ancestors. I can feel that it was coming through his body when he was speaking about this story and the way he carried himself. So, and it definitely gave me that energy and push in, in, in the ways that I probably don't even know, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think at the same time, he probably also went through that too. And something about us as black people, we step into spaces. We already know that there's going to be a barrier. There's going to be something that we have to work against. And mm-hmm. you see that you're going to run away from that. Are you going to prove prove that barrier wrong, or kind of get past that barrier? And I think that that's really the only way we can come become successful. So that's another thing I would love to talk to Bill T. Jones about in the future is what obstacles did he feel like he kind of really proved wrong? You know what what you know what um, barriers I guess did he feel like he overcame, and and what kept him pushing? Because I can tell you right now that I, I guarantee it was some things in his way once again that. Uh, and and he feels like he has, he has that mindset that is like he's not going to let anything stop his work, um, and he knew the power of his work. He knew, you know, in that in that way as well. So hmm. I, I would say that I, I think that did have a lot to do with inspiring me to continue to create the work bigger bigger than I I am. Hmm. I did want to say that on top of like a local choreographer. You know, I worked at BLM because I was inspired by Carl Flink's work too. Yeah, you know, his work very much. You know, Bill T. Jones was a modern work, and I think that I also seen some similarities in Carl's work when he did this work hit. You know, and I just remember my freshman year looking at Parker One Hundred and seeing them rehearse this thing that had words and they were like making these sounds and it had this athleticism to it. You know, so something about how both of the things intrigued me, I think um, also says something that I'm just yeah. thinking at the moment, you know? Huh. Well, it's, so you're, you're a 2019 Jerome fellow. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. yes. What, what do you, what's your, what's your plan? Uh, <laughs> what's next for you, Darius? Well, what is next for me? I don't know. Yeah. You've been, been busy. 2019 uh, fellow, I mean, come at the end of my fellowship. So thankful to Jerome Foundation for believing in my voice. 
that's first and foremost, like what they're doing is empowering people by letting them know, hey, we got you, we support you. Yeah. Uh, over this past two years, I've been working on connecting my communities. You know, that's my grant writing been a lot of that. It's like, well, what community do you serve? And I'm like, well, I serve many communities. You know, I don't <laughs> like to say that I've just served the black community because I'm black. You know, I'm not just a black artist. I'm not just for uh, the black people, I guess. I'm here for people in general. So I teach out in, in, in Bloomington. I teach out in Anoka and Minneapolis. I teach at all these in Shakopee. You know, I teach at all these different places. Um, and that was one of my biggest things over these past two years with the, with the fellowship is connecting those communities through building my website, making sure my marketing is on point, you know, um, making sure I build a strong team, which is really um, the f- group of dancers I have, which is Chang Jong, and you have Kelsey Charlotte, as well as Gabby Abram, um, and also Aram Gomi, which is my partner, like thinking about us four, us five, and, and really, and how can we continue to talk about how can we continue to bring dance to the next level for our community and create opportunity, create work that's going to make an impact. So these have been conversations that have been happening over the past couple of years. And I think moving forward, um, you know, we were really happy at the merge show as we were successful in getting these students to be a part of the show. Um, even through the COVID, COVID um, kind of safety guidelines in the space and mm-hmm. keeping them quite healthy throughout the process. And then also having them perform on stage and understanding that they were also haven't been on stage in I don't know how long or performed or, or been in there and it gave them so much joy. So that there itself um, really gave me a lot of um, impetus to push forward to continue to give back to the youth through our strong intensive um, coming up here in July. So that's one big thing that we try to do every year is having an intensive where we are training young young dancers and give and mentoring them on the possibilities of, of dancing opportunity in, in the cities and beyond, um, you know, putting together a program. That's one of you asked earlier, like it's been a while since we did our whole show. That's one mm-hmm. of my biggest goals next is to put together, um, an, an hour, hour 20 production of our work, um, of some of the past work <clears throat> that we've done. Um, and also some new work, you know, um, and refining some of that old work too, because I've also thinking a lot about this idea of masterpiece. What's the masterpiece? You know, what is movement? I've figured out <clears throat> that there's so much to discover behind movement. You know, as I watch my choreography, I don't know how you are, but as I watch my choreography through video, it takes about a, a month or two. I probably won't watch the, the choreo for a month. Or two. I just yeah. step away from it, but uh, when I step away from it and I look at it. There's so much more in the story that I've seen that I didn't notice, and it makes me feel like it's my as what was our body saying? Because the story makes sense, but I didn't catch these niches. So mm-hmm. I think bringing back some of this work that we worked so hard on over the past years, bringing it back, investigating it, bringing a clearer story to our our community, and bringing more communities together through through our shows, um, and through our events, is kind of what's next for Strong Movement. Continuing to to bring people together and empowering people, you know, in any way that we can. Um, even through my own um, choreographic voice, you know, as I go out and accept jobs, I'm really picky on which jobs I accept and which people I want to choreograph on uh, because I have to look at your mission and your intentions and, mm-hmm. and do our goals align and do our morals align. So I think that those different things um, are what's going to push us to the next level and hopefully we can continue to uh, build an infrastructure and in the future, maybe build a school, you know, um, and definitely doing more touring so we can get uh, more people to know about what's happening here in Minneapolis and our dancing, which is a lot of beautiful things and, and a lot of support in many ways. Um, but I think that once again, connecting communities is one of my biggest, um, you know, callings right now is making sure that I'm stepping into places and saying, Hey, who have you met this person? Have you, have you known about this? <laughs> Check this out. Hey, like, Hey, Hey, have you worked with that person? Oh, you like that? Cool. Let me connect you with this person. So, you know, I just think that we're all connectors and that's kind of the next step for us to continue that pathway. I love it. I, I, I think that's one of my secret talents. I love connecting people. I get so excited about it myself. And you also yeah. mentioned perspective too. So I think that's really clear within your work and your intentions uh, in what you're doing. So That's Darius, good. it's so awesome to chat with you and, and learn 
about you. And I, I think I could go on asking more questions, but, um, till next time. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much, Darius. Have a great one. As well. Peace. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you. Well do. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we talk with Sharon Picasso, a graduate of Boston Conservatory, former company member of Nancy Hauser Dance, and freelance dancer and choreographer in the Twin Cities.